Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is February 16th, 2023. We are beyond excited tonight, church. God is leading us in every way, and we are only catching up and becoming more aware of his faithfulness. Our good shepherd has led us, is leading us, and will continue to lead us as we choose to stand with him. Amen. Speaking of standing with him, do you remember Sunday's message? Yeah, yeah you guys impacted was the weight sitting on you? Yeah. Was there just an immense tension on you? Yeah, yeah me too. Same with Treaster. We learned of the striking similarities between Jonathan and Ittai. Similarities like their background was hostile to David. They experienced supernatural victory with David. They protected David. They made a covenant with David. Verbally committed to a covenant with David. But, but, as we found out, Jonathan went home while Ittai set his feet in the place where David stood. Let's take a look at Ittai and his standing with David and what was produced as we look at this slide from Sunday. Ittai was taught, learned from David, to find the strength in the Lord, to seek the Lord, to be trustworthy, keeping his oaths, to show no partiality but instead care for the weak to give generously, to value faithfulness, to hate disloyalty, and to take his brothers with him wherever he went, just as he did with his family. They prepared Ittai to be taught. You say taught. Taught. Taught like a tiger. <laughs> My wife knew I was going to say that. You got me. Full tension. We are not producing slack bows in this house. We are becoming taught just like Ittai in his greatest moment of difficulty and greatest moment of triumph. Now, as we begin to all be stirred by Ittai's commitment to stand with David, we want to read a quote that uh, we'd like to share with you that has a similar Ittai feel to it. You guys ready for a quote? It's always fun to start a message with a quote. This is a quote from a commander giving a speech at a Navy SEALs graduation ceremony. You ready for it? He said, in a society where mediocrity is too often the, the standard and too often rewarded, there is intense fascination with men who detest mediocrity, who refuse to define themselves in conventional terms and who seek to transcend traditionally recognized human capabilities. This is exactly the type of person that the SEALs are meant to find. The man who finds a way to complete each and every task to the best of his ability. The man who will adapt and overcome any and all obstacles. Man, I love that attitude. We detest mediocrity. I love that. But you know, there's one thing that the Navy SEALs have not acknowledged. Is that they weren't the only ones who have this attitude. You see, the kingdom of God is made up of men who long before the Navy SEALs detested mediocrity. The kingdom is made up of men who refuse to define themselves in conventional terms. The kingdom is made up of men who want to complete each and every task to the best of our ability. Long before the Navy SEALs 
the kingdom of God has been recruiting men who will adapt and overcome any and all obstacles. We are in this kingdom now. Church, the title of our message tonight is Don't Ring the Bell. For most of us, it is a common fact that we know about Navy SEALs training, that it is arguably one of the hardest training exercises that you can complete in the U.S. military. All of us have heard about the infamous bell that they place on the grounds where the SEALs train. During SEAL training and completing some of the hardest tasks that human beings can endure, you are given the option that at any time if you want to quit, you can walk 30 feet and instead of suffering in the cold 50 degree surf of California for hours, you can walk 20 feet and just ring the bell three, three times and then you quit. One of the most haunting things in SEAL training is that the bell is rung in view of all the recruits and it is heard by all the recruits. In fact, when you graduate SEAL training, you graduate standing next to all of the recruit helmets of the men who quit, who laid their helmet down by the bell. You graduate standing next to that, looking at the names on the helmets of the men who rang the bell. But our title tonight is Do Not Ring the Bell. Amen. Yeah, yeah with, that, with that concept in mind... Uh, Seeing as you, you come, these, these Navy SEALs coming to this training facility, right? They, they come, and they don't have the training yet. They're not, they're not prepared yet. They haven't gone through everything yet. They're at a beginning stage, right? They're, they're, they have no idea quite yet how, how this is going to portray. So first scripture, <laughs> first scripture we want to jump into has a little bit to say about that as well. Deuteronomy 6, 10. And this is in the uh, swish. Oh, don't ring that bell. All right. Then when the Lord your God brings you to the land, he promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and you eat your fill. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, that place of slavery. If you can hear from this scripture, they have nothing. They're coming to a place where they have everything they need. They've been given everything. But before that, they had nothing. Just like these Navy SEALs coming to this training, they have nothing at that point. But there's somebody that is going to be training them and giving them something. And just like God did to the Israelites here, he has given it to him. He has given them good things, and it's required not to forget what God has done for them. So as we continue to paint this picture, understand that in the kingdom we come with nothing. We are nothing before the kingdom. Just like the seals, they're nobodies, but they're aspiring to be something. Before any of us entered the kingdom, we had nothing. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 speaks to the level of intensity with which God uses to make us into something. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert 
these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. When you're looking at this passage, we've read it so many times, but picture God in this scenario acting like a drill instructor, forming and fashioning his people. Check it out with that frame in mind. Like a drill instructor, he pushes you to the very limits. He creates scenarios for you that are to the utter maximum of what you can endure so that you will be broken down. In the passage, it words it like, to humble you so that you can be broken down and stripped of yourself. Like a drill instructor, the Lord will push you to the brink. He will craft scenarios for you so that he can see what is inside of you in those scenarios. Because all of us reveal a certain true, uh, a truth about us when we're in those moments. Do you notice that in this passage, he does it to know what's in your heart? I think sometimes we automatically assume that God already knows what's in your heart. But like a drill instructor, he will push you to the brink so he can see and know what is in your heart. What are you really made of? Like a drill instructor, he wants to know if you will follow his instructions. He wants to know if you will keep his commands in the midst of the desert situations, in the midst of difficulty. He puts those situations in your life to see whether or not you are going to follow his instruction. And ultimately, he puts you in those scenarios because he wants to see whether or not you are worthy of his kingdom. Deuteronomy 8.5 goes on to say that know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. When we read about this and we hear the word discipline, what we tend to insert in our brain is punishment. That is not what this is referring to. The word discipline here is discipline, as in the kind of lifestyle that you need in being disciplined in your daily walk. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord, the Lord your God disciplines you so that you will be disciplined. He actively works to add discipline in your life so that you will be better, so that you will be focused, so that you will push harder, so that you can become more than what you are now. Come on, if we think about that drill instructor, God is our drill instructor. Well, on Sunday we heard about that tension, right? Well, how do you think, how do you think we, uh, we begin to produce something? What is the means and the avenue of which uh, our lives begin to produce something? It's tension. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 6. Hmm. <laughs> says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds. I mean, it's been a while since we touched that again. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine 
and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, these, these are what the trials are intended to produce, church. They're intended to produce this proven genuineness of your faith. This attitude, prove me, Lord. Prove me in the difficult. I want to be under tension. I want to grow. I want to grow so much, Lord God, prove me. Faith is proven by where you put your feet, church. Are your feet where your mouth is? It's a question I want you guys to linger with. There's tension in that. Are your feet where your mouth is? James 1, 2 through 5 is talking also about what this produces in us. And understand that when we're talking about God being like a drill instructor, we don't mean that God's in your face angry at you, yelling all of the time. What we're talking about is the mentality with which God deals with you like a drill instructor and what it produces inside of you. James 1, 2 through 5 says, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. We all know that it says that, and our lives are the furthest example from what this really says. There is no person who naturally just has joy when they fall into all sorts of trials. But you can, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a certain rhythm that you can have in training. There's a certain rhythm that you can have when the drill instructor is pushing you to your limits, knowing that if I stand up under this tension, it's going to produce an endurance that I have never had. If I don't quit during this, that means I will never quit anything I try after this. Think of lasting power. Endurance. We, 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 we have that word endurance, right? And we think like, oh, yeah, I, I, a long-distance runner has endurance. I beg to differ. Lasting power, being able to exert force over a long period of time, okay? That's what we're talking about with endurance. Not just being able to, to run a long distance and make it, but actually to have some force continuously over long bouts of training, long bouts of difficult things, long bouts of tension. These kind of trials are included in your life to produce these things in you. What does that mean for us, and how, how important should we take every difficulty in our life if we know that it can produce something like endurance? That's what we need most of when we're talking about the things that this body is called to produce. Let's move to Colossians 1.10, and we're going to begin to build kind of a, a second homiletic here. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, church, it's incumbent upon us to prove ourselves worthy. It's incumbent upon ourselves to continue to rest in that tension because of the worthiness that's being produced out of it. Come on. The longer that we set our feet 
in this place. The longer that we continue to bear up underneath it, we are becoming and proving more and more worthy to our king. Focus in on that facet for a second. In order that you may live a life worthy. One of the goals in any instruction, talk about the Navy SEALs, but it falls so short of what we're really talking about tonight. The SEAL instructors are trying to see who is worthy of being called a SEAL. And in the same sense, to a greater level, what God is doing is he is trying to see who is worthy of being in his kingdom. The truth is, is his kingdom is the most powerful and glorious and magnificent thing that has ever existed and ever will. And that means it is incumbent upon us who God has already credited righteousness, who God is already to call to partake in his kingdom, it's incumbent upon us to prove ourselves worthy of what we are receiving. It is incumbent upon us to live in a manner that is worthy of the kingdom that we are training to participate in. For example, 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. You see, God, like a good drill instructor, he ordains the suffering. He ordains the suffering so that in the suffering, you can be proven worthy through it. You see, the suffering, the difficulty, it has a special um, ability to allow you to shine in that suffering and say, you know what? I want to be a part of this kingdom. I am going to prove. I want to live a life in this suffering by engaging, standing up under this tension that I want to be counted worthy of what I'm being, what I'm receiving. You see, it's so easy. It's so easy to see how, you know, things like, um, you know, those television shows where people win big prizes and they get all excited and you're like, oh man, that's just so magnificent. It's so, you see it and you're like, oh well, yeah, I'd be excited too if I won a million dollars. You know what really says something about the kingdom? When you throw yourself into the tension, you engage in the suffering with a smile because you want to be counted worthy of the kingdom. That, said, that causes people to go, why are you doing that? It's because of the kingdom that I want to be a part of, that I want to participate in. I want to be counted worthy of the greatness of his kingdom. Yeah, this kingdom way. We're going to touch base with this kingdom way here in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. We, may not, we may not say that every scripture. We want to hear you say it. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So if you came into the kingdom thinking it was going to be uh, a glorious, old, easy, well-trodden path, you thought wrong. And the word says it. Because the word literally says here, it's a perfect passive. The way has been constricted. It always has been. 
It's not that it is now, it always has been. That's why it's narrow. That's why it's a difficult uh, path that not everybody will be on. And the wide path, that easy path that has not been constricted is the path that most people find and fall on, but not this church. So you're familiar with this passage. You guys know this, this verse. In some of your translations, it'll say narrow. Uh, in this passage on the screen, it says difficult. Uh, this passage says constricted. The word in Greek is thlebo. Thlebo. It means to squeeze, pinch, press, afflict, or persecute. And being it's in the perfect passive, that means that the way has been constricted already. Think about that. Engage with it for a second. The path that you are on, the path that you enlisted to walk down, has already been constricted in advance before you even started. That means that the path you are walking on is constricted and it is going to continue being constricted each and every day. The path that God has ordained for all of you, myself included, Adam included, every person in this room, understand this, from this, this day forward, it is going to get more constricted. That is what God has done for you. That is what God has done for us. He has constricted the path because he is allowing us situations to prove ourselves worthy of his kingdom. It is getting more constricted. Every day is harder. Every day is harder. And yet, in the same sense, as we are standing up under the tension, we're getting better at it. We're getting stronger as we rise up under the, under the tension and agree, this is the way it is. This is the way I'm going to keep going. And I am going to go through this. I will not ring the bell no matter how constricted it gets. You can see. The same Jesus who constricted the path, doing this to his disciples in John 6, 66 through 69. When you're, when you're hearing this, you should be thinking of the connections you heard Sunday with how David uh, spoke to Ittai. Now the son of David is speaking to his disciples says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. There's a lot of booze in the room. But be honest, all of us have heard that bell ring. All of us have heard men who are more called than us, who were qualified, who shared in the ministry, and we heard them and saw them ring the bell. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You would think that Jesus would look to the disciples and say, man, thank God that you guys are sticking with me, right? Like, man, I feel lonely. Everybody's leaving me. Thank God I have the 12. No. He has already constricted the path. And in this situation, he is going to constrict it again. He says to the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? I really don't think that's that kind of question, though. I think it's more of a suggestive. You don't want to leave too, do you? 
Simon Peter answered him, almost like a drill instructor dealing with some motivations that are arising in their hearts to quit. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We need to pause on that for a second. Simon Peter is responding to the drill instructor in the very moment where it seems like it would just be very easy to walk away from this. It'd be very easy to remove myself from this trial, from this difficulty, whatever hardship I'm dealing with. It'd be very easy right now to find a coping mechanism and just not deal with the hardship. But Simon Peter presses in in the midst, I'm sure while people are ringing the bell. And Simon Peter presses in and says, what other option do I have at this point? I have already been with you, Jesus. I want to be proven worthy to follow you despite the cost, no matter how constricted the way is. And I'm sure Jesus, as the good drill instructor, saw what he was looking for in Peter. He put him in that situation to see what was in Peter, like Deuteronomy 8, to test and know what was in his heart. And when he heard Peter's response, he said, that's it. I wanted to see if you found a way to quit and you didn't. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is such a beautiful passage because you see the desire of Peter to prove himself to be worthy met with Jesus' desire to see Peter proven worthy. And that is what God is doing in each and every one of us in the trials that he is crafting for you. He wants to see you proven worthy. You want to prove yourself worthy. All we have to do is not ring the bell, church. Yeah, yeah you can see that the, uh, that tension, right? That tension is, is uh, it's proving. It's proving what, what uh, our faith is, where we're willing to stand, choosing to stand, and not moving on, right? It's a, it's a product of the tension that God puts us under. Well, what about like when that tension is just, it's hard. We ain't going to lie to you. It's hard. I know it's hard, and I know you know it's hard. I know the Phillips, they know it's hard. I know Spencer McClain knows it's hard. Well, what do we do? We cry out to God. We ask for him to empower us. I can think of no better place to go when you need empowerment than the book of Nehemiah. Let's go to Nehemiah 6, 9. Wild card. (laughs) I love it. All night. All of them are wanting to scare us, supposing their hands will will grow slack from the work, and it won't get done. Nah, that ain't us. That ain't our vision. That is not where we're going, church. Nehemiah says, now strengthen my hands. When we are in that tension, when we are standing and choosing to stand, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though it's wearing on us, we ask for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come down and strengthen our hands that we can stand, that we can be immovable, unshakable, unbreakable, and we will stay exactly where we are, where we've committed, where we have said, and we are choosing to put our feet in. We're asking, don't take us out of it. That's not our mindset. We are declaring we need your attention. 
strengthen our hands, Lord. We are committing to not ringing the bell. Strengthens our hands, Lord. We need you to work in us and equip us for your will. Strengthen our hands, Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. It's been preached on in this church in the last few months. One of the most incredible passages in the Bible. In seeing Paul under the instruction of his drill instructor. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. By the way, just a little side note, go put the province of Asia in a concordance. You're going to find out a lot of fun stuff in the book of Acts. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. This situation was engineered by the drill instructor, Jesus, to produce something in Paul and the men that were with him. In understanding that, we ought to be able to recognize what kind of situations our drill instructor engineers for us. He will absolutely put you in a place where you're under great pressure. He will let you feel the great pressure. He will absolutely put you in circumstances where you are beyond your ability to endure. All your natural reasoning, all of your natural strength, everything you can muster will not be enough. And he puts you there. He will put you in a situation that you despair even of life itself where you feel the sentence of death in you. Come on. But that is to produce something. You see, in this situation, it allowed the men to find something in themselves that they did not know that they had. They were far beyond their ability. They were at that moment where they're saying, I got nothing left. There is nothing inside of me there is no strength. I can't do this for another second. I am going to die. I'm pushed past all of my natural resorts that I try to use. That's a good place to be. I'm past every coping mechanism that I've tried. I have nowhere else to turn. In fact, I'm trying to ask for encouragement, but all the encouragement I get doesn't seem to change my situation. I've used all the mechanisms that I've created to, to give myself crutches to deal with this pain. I have nothing left. Oh, wait. I might need to cry out to God in this moment. Perhaps he can empower me to go through this. That is the moment every good drill instructor is looking for. The moment where you meet your end and you find something. You find something you didn't know that you had. And for the Navy SEALs, it may be more courage, but you know what it is for the saints of the living God? It is that crying out for empowerment that we don't often use enough, but we discover it when we need it. It is that moment where you are done. You have no option, but you cry out, God, I need your empowerment right now to help me through this. And he shows up in power. 
Boy, that makes Jesus a better drill instructor than all who have ever come after him. He will put you in the situation so that you cry out to him to give you the solution. They were proving themselves worthy by not ringing the bell. And God was proud of these men, and he supplied them with the power that they needed to continue. Come on, who needs a little of that tonight, church? Come on. Yeah, that outcome. We look at 2 Timothy uh, 2, starting in verse 3. We're going to kind of go through this pretty quick. You can flip there. Ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. No. The outcome of him putting us as a good drill instructor into those situations that we have to cry out for an empowerment is what it's saying right here. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's wanting that enduring. He wants you to get into it and actually let it work in you. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. The mindset that's there, the mentality that's there, being fully trained and uh, worked over in that situation. He wants us to cry out to him so all of that takes hold inside of us. He wants us to be a, uh, he wants us to to look to him to be pleased, to please him. Hebrews 12.7 is a quick one, but we need to kind of grasp this before we move on. Hebrews 12.7 says, endure hardship as discipline. Again, we're not talking about equating hardship to punishment. Because that's usually the first thought that goes through our mind. Like, what the heck is happening? What did I do wrong? What did my wife do wrong? What did my kids do wrong? What did anybody do wrong? Instead of really recognizing it, because it's harder to view it as, the, as what it really is. It's harder to view it as God is just increasing hardship in your life because he wants more discipline in your life. And then knowing all the discipline you received in the past doesn't mean he won't do it, he, he won't do it again. Remember, it's an ever-constricting way. You've received discipline in the past, but he's going to ramp it up again the next day and the next week. What this scripture plainly states in the Peshat is that all hardship is discipline. Which means in simple terms that everything that is hard in your life comes from the drill instructor. Everything that is difficult and hard in your life is coming from the Lord. It's not the devil. God is increasing hardship in your life because he wants you to be disciplined. He wants to do something in you. Let me ask you a question. What is hard in your life right now? What's hard in your life that wasn't hard last week? What is difficult that has recently come upon you that you've been tempted to, what, what the heck is this? I don't know how to deal with it. You're confessing it in Mashalom College like it's just hard. That hardship, whatever popped into your brain, that is the drill instructor disciplining you. He's making you a good soldier. For me, it's my, my new job. It's going to sound silly to some of you in this room, especially, sorry, Elder Charlie. I'm not used to waking up at 6.30 in the morning. I worked very hard at FCR. Judah was a, an amazing, he is an amazing boss. And he allowed me to work late in the evening so I didn't have to wake up before 10 o'clock every day. Discipline. Yeah. I needed discipline. 
And I'm finding it hard to still be able to, to interact with my wife and pastor her and, and just be a husband to her and my kids. I'm finding it difficult to, to still have the meaning, meaningful relationships. I know one thing, I'm not going to ring the bell. This is allowing me to recognize that this is not just, you know, a hardship that, oh, what's it there for? This is allowing me to see that God doesn't want to change this for me. He wants me to grow up into this. He's put this in my life because this is going to make me a better soldier for Jesus Christ. This tiredness I feel, I was deathly, not deathly, I was terribly sick my first week. I could not tell my boss. Because for all you bosses in the room, what does it look like when you have a new employee that calls in sick? And then if, yeah, and then if you tell your boss you're sick, he's like, well, what's the matter with you? You didn't tell us? Yeah, I, I just, just silent about the whole thing. And I had to understand, my father, my God, Jesus, he is a good drill instructor, and this was put in my life to teach me to not ring the bell in any circumstance. Isn't it good to know, too, if he's putting us, if he's putting us in those difficult situations, that it's your God, it's your Father putting you in them? Don't you think he's going to help you? Don't you think he's going to want you to succeed? We so often want to think that we're in a bad situation. This is tough. This is difficult. And we immediately count ourselves out. We quit. We fail. We give up. God is putting it there to grow something inside of you, to have proven genuineness uh, of your faith demonstrated to him, to also develop you into uh, a man or woman of God that will not waver but can stand in any situation. Our Father is good to us, to give us, to give us these good things to develop us. Come on, and we are better for it, church. Think of all the discipline you received up to this point. It has made you better. Look, we want to quickly, we did it in the intro, just want to remind you uh, of Sunday's message and how it impacted us. It impacted me to hear what David said to Ittai. That's really how this message was birthed. It impacted me to see such a willing Gentile come to David and say, hey, I'm going to follow you. And he's like, you don't belong here. You need to leave. And to see that tension that the commander put on Ittai, to see him testing Ittai with that pressure and what it did in Ittai's response that he was willing to rise up in that tension. He was willing to rise up in that and it caused Ittai to become something great. It reminded us of one of the last passages in the Bible where you see Ittai mentioned. And this is 2 Samuel 18, 2-3. So when you're reading this, understand what you're reading about in Ittai's life was produced by what you heard Sunday. Him being under the tension. Verse 2. David sent the troops out. A third under the command of Joab. A third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah. And a third under who? Ittai the Gittite. You see this process of discipline in Ittai's life, this process of being under the tension, it graduated Ittai to being a general in David's army. 
He was instructed by his drill instructor, David, and he graduated not ringing the bell. And now he is fighting for David, and he has men under him who he is training. You see, the true leaders in David's army and in the kingdom are the men that have proven themselves worthy by not ringing the bell, and now they can prove other men worthy. But moreover, this passage shows something that Ittai learned along the way. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you, David, are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. I want you to grasp what's going on here and what Ittai learned along the way. Ittai is one of the men who is saying this. Ittai is saying, David, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. They'll just come after you. Even if half of us die, they don't care. They just want to get to you. What he's really saying in that, in that statement is Ittai is saying, hey, Oh, king, it doesn't matter about our lives. We don't matter. You are worth 10,000 men. You are so worthy that we would rather die than have you put in that situation. What Ittai learned along the way of proving himself worthy to the king is he recognized how worthy the king was. He learned along the way that he is worthy and I am going to die. I have proven myself worthy. I have proven myself worthy to be here. And the reason I did it was because he is worthy of me following him. He is worthy of all of the trials that I stood up under. He is worthy of all the tension that I had to go through. He is worthy and I would rather die than see him out there in that position. In proving themselves worthy, they grasped the fact that David is worthy. They don't care about their lives at this point. They've already sacrificed it all. They care about how much he is worth. He's worth 10,000 of them. You're going to see this in our next passage. In Luke 22, 28 through 30, you're going to see these concepts where Jesus, like Ittai... Jesus, like David, has produced men who are worthy. And he did it by standing in trials. Jesus stands in trials. The men see it. They stand in the trials with him. What you're also going to see is something that is not not short of remarkable. What you're going to see is almost like King David talking to his men. In fact, you're going to see the son of David talking to his men. So Luke 22, starting in 28. You are the ones who have remained with me in my trials. Thus I grant to you a kingdom, just as my father granted to me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. If you notice, it's not the, tr- it's not the trials of the disciples 
in this moment that Jesus is reflecting on. He's reflecting on his trials. And he's reflecting that they stayed with him in those trials and didn't leave, but were there the entire time. They were there in the tension. They were there experiencing what Jesus was experiencing. He invited them to the trial with him. Now, uh, some of you guys know, not everybody, uh, Lincoln had a seizure on Sunday evening going into Monday. So I just met myself over to Fuerte, got a little bit of worship in, Spencer was getting it, and uh, I get a phone call, and immediately when I get a phone call from my wife from something like this, I'm usually kind of like, yeah, that's it's unusual, something's not right. And so my first thought is, he's having a seizure. So she informs me that's the case, passed away, just happened to step out of a meeting, and uh, talking with some brothers, and immediately he's like, hey guys, Lincoln's having a seizure, I gotta go. Uh, do you guys want to come and, and be with me and, and pray? And they're like, absolutely. So we jump in the car and we get over there. I get there, and as I'm on my way, my brother in my house, my teammate, yeah, he's in there and he's praying with my wife, holding it down until we get there. Come on, that's love, that's brotherhood. Now, that's right. He's appreciative. So we get there, and uh, immediately we get into the situation. And uh, Lincoln had his, his uh, emergency med and was basically stopped. So I could see it's not fully stopped. I could see that his, his, uh, he, he's not fully relaxed. If you know with seizures, there's, it's, it's all about brain activity. And so when he's having his seizures, it literally does not cut off until he has enough of the emergency med to stop it. And we know that he's, it does not stop until he is fully out, like sleeping, like eyes closed, done. And that was not the case after the emergency med. So we only have one thing of an emergency med. Like the, the instructions basically say just one time, not, not two. So we're in this tension, in this situation where I'm sitting there and I'm praying and my brothers are praying and, and Samson's right next to me. And in every other situation, when I've had a, a, a seizure uh, response with Lincoln, I've never had anybody else with me. It's just Steph and I. And this was different. God was directing something different in our lives at that moment. Yeah. So I happen to notice I'm on the phone with 911, and I'm walking them through what's going on. And I see Samson sitting next to me, and he's just kind of back a little bit. And I say, hey, son, come here. And I bring him up. Yeah. Inviting him to the tension. I said, hey, put your hand in his head. Put your hand on Lincoln's head. I want you to pray. This is what's happening. So while I'm on the phone with 911 and in between talking, I'm walking him through what the situation is. What is the scenario? This is what's happening in Lincoln. This is what he's doing. This is why he's having a seizure. We need to pray that this brain activity stops, that he needs to just reset. He needs to get back to normal. And he's there putting his hand on him and praying. I mean, imagine that tension. He's eight. Is this going to work? Do I know what to say? Can I actually help my brother? That's weighty. I, I, I haven't experienced that at eight. You have, yes, Lincoln. Lots of tension. Uh, but inviting him into the tension and not, not absolving him of it. Okay? The same thing with my brothers. I'm looking around and I have brothers. I have, I have Spencer, I have Bim, I have uh, Justin Linton, I have Ibrahim. And we're, Andrew's there. He's, we're all praying. 
Imagine my brother's in attention. Maybe they have or have not seen a seizure before. I mean, they sure haven't seen Lincoln having a seizure before. What is that like? So as he starts coming into a second seizure, this is what we're going, this is what we're experiencing. And they're seeing that. And whatever thoughts are coming through them, not absolving them of it, but having them in there with me. Now, the amazing thing that happened was we had some scriptures. Pastor Wade was there. Pastor Wade was sharing out of uh, Psalm 139. Ben was sharing out of Isaiah 26. Lincoln has never come out of a seizure. I've never seen one just stop, ever. And in that moment, my brothers, with their hands on and praying, hearing the word of God, Samson with his hand on Lincoln's head, like that. Come on. That's a testimony. What's amazing about that is that I could tell Samson, by not absolving, by not taking yourself out of the tension, son, okay, God was working in you. Come on. That's a testimony that will never fade. That's a testimony in my brothers that will never fade. This is something that is amazing that the Lord is doing. See, this is what it looks like to be like David, to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Understand, David went through his trials. He stood up under the tension and he invited men to join him. Jesus stood in his trials and he invited men to join him. Ittai stood in his trials and commanded and invited men to join him. This is what we do. When we know that he is worthy, when we've stood up under the trial, we begin to focus on inviting men into our trials and say, come stand with me. Come see how worthy our king is. Come stand with me in this trial. This is like a SEAL, a Navy SEAL, who has graduated SEAL training himself, creating other SEALs. He's already a Navy SEAL. He's already under the tension. And he is inviting and training other men to join him. This is what we do, those of us who stand in the tension. We want to show you a slide on the Greek word, for trial in Luke 22. When Jesus says, you are those who stood in my trials, the word trial is pirasmos. means to make trial of. It's a trial, a temptation, a putting to the test. It is when God is the agent, this word pirasmos is for the purpose of proving someone. Never for the purpose of causing him to fall. It is for the purpose of proving someone when God is the agent. So these trials that we're inviting, that we're speaking of, this is when the drill instructor, God as the agent, is putting you in that purpose for the purpose of proving you. And you invite other men to join. We want to show you another slide quickly just on how this word gets used. When you read through the Newer Testament, do a word search on the test. And you'll see that the test is quite an extraordinary thing. Matthew 4, 7. You're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test. Don't put your drill instructor to the test. It's a bad day. But Romans 16, 10 says, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. 
2 Corinthians 2.9 says, I was writing to you to see if you would stand the test and be obedient. 2 Corinthians 13.5 is asking, unless of course you fail the test, you will discover that we have not failed the test, so, not so that people will see that we have stood the test. And James 1.12 talks about, blessed is the one persevering under the trial, because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Now to tell you the truth, we don't exactly know what the test is. But we do know it happens. We do know that we go through it. We do know that God is the agent, and it's for the purpose of proving you. Church, do you want to pass the test? The test is going to come in various forms, and it's going to come often. But God's doing it for your good. So let's turn to Revelation 17, starting in verse 13. As we're working our way to a close, Revelation 17, 13 through 14 gives us an indication of men who have stood the test. It says they have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They ring the bell. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And with him will be his called chosen, and faithful followers. Church, those who have stood the test will be with him. Those who have proven themselves worthy will be with him. Those that recognize he is the great king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he is worthy of every act of obedience, and he deserves all of my time and attention and praise and worship. Those that know he is worthy. Those that are called, recruited. Those that are chosen through the selection process and the test, and those that have been faithful to stand up under the tension, they will be with him. The truth is, it all hinges on the fact that he is the Lord of Lords, and he is the King of Kings, and he is worthy. And we stand with him, not because we love the test itself, but because we want to be with him on that day, and he's the one who puts us in the test. None of us loves the training. None of us loves the difficulty. But what we do love is him. And he is the one who gives us those situations. He is the one allowing us to prove ourselves worthy, faithful, so that we can be with him. Do you want to be with him, church? Love the one that gives you the trials. Because they are formed to get you to be with him. Come on. I would keep preaching another hour. All right. With all of that in mind, with that attitude that Justin just hit you guys with, right? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. We'll start in verse 24. Come on. This attitude that we want to do whatever it takes to be with him. Whatever it takes. It's not the tension I want to be in. It's not the trial I want to be in. I want to be with him. We want to be with him. And with that in mind, this is our attitude. This is our approach. This is how we tackle this. Do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete, but only one receives the prize. So run to win. Run to win. We're not running to come in second place. We're not running to put on a good show. We're not running to uh, 
feel good. This isn't exercise. This is for the kingdom. And we are wanting to be with our king. Each competitor must exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable one. An imperishable crown. The imperishable crown is not the physical crown. It is being crowned with him. It's being with him. That crown is him. Now we have the opportunity to be crowned with victory with our brothers. Bringing them alongside us as we run this race. We are not absolving our brothers of anything anymore. We are bringing them into the tension. We are pulling them with us to experience the things that we've experienced. It's being crowned with your brothers now. We can do this right now. There's no, yes, this is for the future, but it's right now. The next time we're going through something, we look to our brothers and we bring them with us. The next time we face something difficult at work, we pull our brothers with us and we talk about it. The next time there's a really hard decision to make within a home, we get our brothers together and we talk about it. We are doing this together, church. The crown that we're fighting for is not to be gilded with gold. The crown that we're fighting for is to stand in victory with our king and with each other. That's the true crown. Our last passage, we're going to read 2 Samuel 18, verse 3 again. But I want to read it in the Young's literal translation for you. Earlier when we read it, we heard that they considered David worthy of 10,000 men. The Hebrew can be translated two ways here. And Young's literal gives the more literal rendering. And the people say, Thou dost not go out. For if we utterly flee, they do not set their heart upon us. And if half of us die, they do not set their heart unto us. For now, like us, are 10,000. See, earlier we read that David was worth 10,000. Now, Ittai is saying, David, you don't even need to go out because you have made 10,000 men like us. Church, he is worth 10,000, but now the men don't need him to be presently in the battle. He can be in the city because there are 10,000 men that David made, 10,000 that are just like Ittai, 10,000 that are just like the warrior. You see, the victory is that we are all together victorious. That we are all together going through the trials and graduating together. When none of us ring the bell, that is victory. Tonight, if you've heard this message, you're listening, understand that you have been ringing the bell. If you've been failing in your relationships with other soldiers in this house. When you're failing to recognize that God gave you that difficulty to train you, God gave you that tension to train you, and you just want to give in, that's ringing the bell. Giving into your, into your temptation, that is ringing the bell. Complaining over your circumstances, that is ringing the bell. Holding back obedience that you know belongs to the Lord, that's ringing the bell. But you know what is ultimately ringing the bell? If you let these things stop you. 
you're still here. You haven't rung out three times yet. You might have rung it once, but you can consider that he's still worthy, and you can go right back into that training. You see, he's worthy of all. He deserves all. Therefore, we will not ring that bell, and we will take it upon ourselves to ensure that our brothers don't ring the bell because we are in this training together. We will not graduate and see helmets near the bell in this house. We are all going to graduate together. We're all going to fight together. We're all going to take the land that the Lord has given us. You guys go ahead and stand up. When we start to realize what God is doing inside of us, we realize how good that tension is. We realize uh, what it produces in us. We realize that he's putting us in this situation, so of course he's going to empower us when we ask for it, when we cry out for it. We realize that he is worthy of every bit of tension that we go through. He is worth it. We have counted the cost. We have made that decision. We are like Ittai. We are like the disciples who decided to plant their feet and not move. And we are doing this together as a body, church. We're doing it together by putting our feet where our mouth is. We say we want to be here, Lord. We say we want nothing else but you, Lord. Strengthen our hands, Lord. Church, lift your hands up with confidence as we ask for the empowerment to do just this. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, we say we want you and nothing else. We want your way and nothing else. Lord, make your perfect plan known to us as you develop us, as you put us through the tension. Lord, as we draw others with us, our brothers with us, and we do this together, Lord God. Lord, that we don't absolve anybody. We see how good you are to develop us all together in victory by your hand. We love you, Lord God, and we are crying out, Lord God, prove us faithful, mighty King. Prove us faithful.